Hey, Gene. Hey, how's it going? Going great. How are you? Pretty good. A little tired in the morning, but nothing unusual. <laughs> so what topic do you have for me today? So I was thinking a lot ever since I moved into my small town away from Manhattan about like what businesses and what what businesses look like when people see them in the streets and when they kind of conceptualize them in their brains. And like whenever I think of a business, I think of like a barbershop or a hardware store, those classic small businesses that you see on TV. And that doesn't like mesh well with my idea of what like modern, if you could call them, businesses are. And those are much more focused on what I perceive as short-term gains. Let's quickly do a product it doesn't even have to be profitable. Let's just, you know, get a lot of people, add money, big data, all that kind of vaporware, maybe, is the name for it, where it's not really a thing, but it has this perceived value that you can sell it. And this idea of serial entrepreneurship, it sounds appealing. It sounds cool. Like, oh, look at this guy, girl, person, company. Uh, they're trying all these things. And the more you try the the more likely you will to learn something and succeed. But the downside of that is you're just forever having these failed businesses that I guess society like has a weird spin on. Like if you if you talk about someone that had five, ten businesses that he sold or failed and now he's on a new one, that doesn't sound really good but a person that opened a hardware store 35 years ago and it's still working that's like oh good yay look at this guy girl whatever and it like i i, I can't i can't get over that like dissonance of wanting people and myself anyone to to try to do a bunch of stuff and sort of hope that one of them works but how do you how do you square that with well you're gonna fail a bunch and also a lot of businesses now aren't like direct to consumer sales. They're much more business to business software like software as a service or aggregating data to sell ads. And all that it doesn't feel real and it doesn't feel very good to say, hey, I had, you know, five different data aggregation businesses that all failed and I sold one of them for, you know, some amount of money. But isn't that, isn't that why you start a business to make money? Right. And that's the other overarching sort of idea. Like Apple got in trouble a couple of weeks ago about their um, in-app purchases policies. And people were saying how, well, you're not like, treating the community well because they weren't allowing in-app purchases purchased outside of the iPhone like ecosystem because Apple wants their 30% cut. And you're right. The argument is, well, Apple's a business and they have a business model and they need to make money. And the CEO works for the shareholders. And it's his imperative to do everything in the interest of being profitable, raising stock price. Yeah. And that's not, I guess, how I see business. I sort of see it 
more part of a community, more part of the town that you're in. And I don't, like I see those businesses as less successful. Like you know that the person that owns a hardware shop makes less than a software engineer at, you know, Google, Facebook. Uh, Actually, you don't know that. They may be making much more. They just, um, I think it's all about, about personality and kind of staying low key and stuff. It's 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 different, I think. And honestly, I think I disagree with you that I think that Apple is a success because it redefined the market. But that was like years ago. Now they're like hardware sales are falling, or you know, not accelerating as fast. And they're trying to explore this uh, services revenue where they charge people or the developers 30% of like in-app purchases. And you could see how that's a problem with books where you can't can't expect Amazon to give 30% of the book sale to Apple. There's just no... There is no 30% to give. The margins are super low. And same thing with Netflix. Like, yeah, sure, they're making a bunch of money, but they still can't afford to take a 30% hit on all subscriptions of people who signed up through the iPhone app. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Is that something new that came up? I mean, the 30% thing was always a thing, but you might remember... Or even now, you can't buy books on the Kindle app. You have to like go to Amazon and then yeah. buy the book there. And you mm-hmm. can't purchase a Netflix subscription in the Netflix app. And these are special cases that Apple made for these big, big companies because they couldn't afford to drop them. Where there was, a, I think a couple weeks ago, maybe two or three, there was a there's an app developer who made an email client and they did the same thing where they're like, Hey, log in. And if you have an account, totally cool, but there was no sign up page anywhere. And you had to figure out that you had to go to the website, sign up, and then you can log in exactly the same as Netflix. And Apple just pulled their app from the, from the store saying, well, you're breaking policy and then quoted some vague, you know, bylaw. But, Interesting. So there's this preferential treatment, and why is Apple taking so much? But at the end of the day, well, they are a company, and they can do whatever well, they want. Well, think about this for a second. Um, when you, as an as Apple, as a company, when you host a free app, for example, and there are a lot of free apps that are free to purchase, so Apple can't get their share of the purchase price, right? But they offer in-app purchases. And Audible, by the way, was just the same way. Like, you couldn't purchase a book on Audible. You had to go through the website. And now you can. Um, it's just it's just as recent as maybe one or two months ago that you, like, I was able to purchase books on Audible or purchase credits right from the app as opposed to the website. Um, yeah, and that's like, special deals with Amazon because Apple's trying to get into the TV space. So mm-hmm. they're they're negotiating and they're giving up some of this. But this is, you know, very large companies. The small companies, yeah. they, they can't do that. But listen, like, Apple has to pay for some server space for maybe developers who maintain these 
these servers where the apps can be sold. And if and if the apps are free, then Apple does it all for free. So they have to have something to pay for for the expenses if your app is free, but you offer in-app purchases. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, I don't necessarily think that it should be 30%, but just saying that there should be something. Right. And I think the issue is that Apple positions itself as a very developer-friendly ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And then they're not. And then sure, like there's tons of apps. There are more polished apps on the App Store than on the Google Play Store. Because for whatever reason, I found that like Apple developers design better apps. But that's almost in spite of Apple. Google makes it super easy for everything, but their platform isn't as nice. And I don't think they have like the best developers. And I'm not sure why. Like there's no reason that Android apps can't be just as good, but they're not. And that's like a strange thing, but Apple does position itself as, hey, we're super developer friendly and, you know, make apps for our platforms, but then they do this weird stuff that hurts their image with the people that they need. Yeah, Apple's a company that sells cell phones. But the reason you want an iPhone is because the apps are the best on the iPhone and most apps aren't made by Apple. Hmm. Interesting. So we kind of deviated from our from our serial entrepreneur topic for a little bit. Um I mean, we, we, we could tie it back with some sort of hook app as to like, you know, like I've made a couple apps and they didn't work. And maybe if I keep making apps, eventually one will get big enough that I could sell. Yeah. Don't, well, don't forget who your accountant is. Right. <laughs> and I guess that seems strange to me. I guess I'm like kind of living in the past thinking of businesses as kind of members of the community where you're more than a business you're you're like a part of the town and you're involved in the policies and the government and the local like goings about of people where a lot of companies now they're they feel detached they don't they don't feel a part of the community they feel like a feature of the community but not a part of it well, what would, in your mind, make it make a difference in that sense? Like, what would you want to see to say, well, this business is a part of the community? I mean, for larger companies, it's impossible to be a part of any specific community. Well, it could be a community of people. Like, for example, it doesn't have to be a local community, but it, like, I have a client who is a um, LGBTQ community leader. Like you can be a community that could, you know, span across the entire world. It's just not necessarily a local community. It's just a group of people who share the same, you know, interests or whatever, lifestyles or whatever it is. I mean, this could also be like the quarantine talking where I do miss that community interaction where I get to walk around and I get to do stuff and see people and it's not weird. Now, whenever I see someone it's not really like a happy interaction. It's always awkward. 
Are you a mask person? Are you not a mask person? Should we be quarantining? Should we be outside? Is it okay that I'm not wearing a mask in a park with no one around me? No one knows. And that, like all these interactions became not as fun. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, well, like mm. with a community, I don't know. I feel like there's something different about me opening up a hardware store and having it be you know, specific to the community. I try my best. I have, I don't know, sponsors with the local schools or just that regular business as opposed to a national brand like Home Depot coming in. They have special management training. They have all this branding and marketing. And yeah, like I would love to have a nice Home Depot by me as opposed to like a not so well put together hardware store. The hardware store that's local feels somehow better, but there is there's like limited value maybe in it. I think so. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a local hardware store. Sometimes, like we would go to the local hardware store because you need something faster, and you just don't want to drive all the way to Home Depot. Um, but ultimately, Home Depot has much lower prices. Right. So there's a trade-off. So like that's when these products get commoditized, I guess, where people don't care where they come from. They just want the cheapest one, you know, socks at Walmart, uh, plywood at uh, (laughs) Home Depot. But there, there is some, something nice about, like a local shop. And I guess the closest thing that's, well, maybe not anymore, but like a local restaurant that could be like the center of a town where everyone knows about this restaurant. Everyone likes it. They go there, they have a good time. And that's different than like an olive garden. Yeah. Like if you have an olive garden and you have a local restaurant, there's something nice about, the local restaurant that makes it feel different than management training from Olive Garden. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not sure it is either, but it feels like I, I have this feeling that I want to, I want to be the local sort of person and I want to buy things at the local stores and restaurants, but then you're right. They don't have as good of a variety of products. They don't have the best prices. Even their service a lot of the times I found not better. (laughs) You walk into a store and you're like clearly bothering the store person where, I don't know, at at these big brands, the service tends to be homogenous because they have the same training for everyone. I mean, the same training I have, I'm a little biased when it comes to the management training. I think that it's a good thing because in an example of an accounting firm, for example, like a lot of smaller accounting firms don't have the kind of clear management training. And because a personality of an accountant is more like an introvert um, geek you know, nerd or whatever. Um, it seems that 
you know, we like accountants progress to become senior and then manager and stuff without any specific management training. And that's actually a bad thing. Like we naturally, we as accountants are not great managers. And I wish we could be because I've worked for a great manager, but I've also worked for a number of really bad managers. So I don't know if that's a bad thing necessarily that there's, you know, there's a corporate wide training. I've worked in a restaurant a long time ago where the manager was great. And it was a four restaurant um, franchise. Well, it's probably wasn't a franchise. It was probably owned by the same owner, but there was some sort of a corporate culture and corporate training and stuff, which, which made the restaurant actually really nice. So I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. But you do, I guess, commiserate with me that there is something maybe quaint about local place, but there's something more convenient, more streamlined about the national brands. And I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and here's the thing. So, like, I'll give you an example. So there is, I guess, a good and bad. Um, so, like, I guess we all choose for ourselves. Like, I'll give you an example. I was in Germany last year for uh, for a wedding, and I'm very particular when it comes to espresso drinks. Um, so oftentimes, they taste burnt. Like, coffee f- within the espresso drink tastes burnt. And... I always look for a Starbucks because I know that even in Germany, in Starbucks, I can get the same exact tasting coffee that I can in New York. I mean, that's funny because Starbucks is notoriously overburnt coffee, but I think I, well, think I take your point. <laughs> you should try the you should try the blonde espresso. It's, it's pretty nice. Uh, well, I do, I do like a latte or a soy latte or. Well, you then know, what are you talking like about? That. Burnt? You don't taste anything. <laughs> drinking well, like a no, large no, 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 jug no. of milk. <laughs> well, I don't know how we switched from small businesses to coffee, but. but oh, we're Starbucks. The, we're still we're still on track. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So, um. Technically, the more burnt the coffee is, the less caffeine is in it. Yeah, but right? that doesn't matter. It's it's trivial. You're not really drinking coffee for the caffeine, right? <laughs> no, not really. Like at this point, I'm just drinking it not to get headaches because I'm, you know, chemically addicted to coffee or caffeine. <laughs> so yeah, if it's like five milligrams less or something. My body doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, so so when you have a like Starbucks has a ratio of X number of shots per X ounces of milk, right? And typically on a grande, which is the their medium size, on a grande latte, you have two shots. Now, when you get a smaller one, you get one shot, but it tastes, the ratio changes between milk and um, espresso. So it tastes more burnt. Um, and I don't like that. I like when the taste is smooth. And what I found is the grande is the best size for that. There is the ratio of milk and coffee is um, the best in terms of what I like. Um, when you go to a, an Italian coffee shop or, you know, whatever, one of the f- like 
craft um, crafted coffees or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You always, almost always, I feel that there is too much espresso or not, and not enough milk because it tastes like that tall latte from Starbucks. <laughs> so it seems so, like you don't like the taste of coffee. Okay, I think we're onto something. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, the other one I'm thinking of is Blue Bottle, which. It's pretty costly, but they they do everything by hand. They they weigh everything out, they measure everything out, and they try their best without too many machines to have very consistent coffee. And like I do appreciate that, and I do like it where I can when I'm not feeling you know entirely secure in a country and I'm like not at home. It's nice getting the consistent same taste of Starbucks. Even though it's not the best coffee, it's nice getting a consistent experience. Where if you go to a, like a smaller coffee shop, you'll have more variety, and depending on the barista that's there, or how they're feeling, or a bunch of other factors, it's it's not consistent. So you can get a really good cup, or you can get a really bad one, and that's an interesting trade-off. Like getting consistently the same coffee or this variety that maybe you'll win the lottery and have a really good cup of coffee. <laughs> Stakes are pretty low, but that's true. <laughs> I guess it depends what you're in the mood for. Yeah. Well, so we went to Germany and, and there were a bunch of Starbucks in Frankfurt, but outside of Frankfurt, there are like no Starbucks. Um, so like you said, it's a trade-off. If you don't, if I don't have a choice, I will kind of get regular coffee instead. Because in a regular coffee, you can add enough milk to um, reduce that bitter taste of of, of overburnt coffee. Um, in a latte, it's much harder to do that. So um, I mean, with a latte, also not to keep dropping coffee facts, but you can oversteam milk, and that'll make it kind of gross. So well, then it's foam, right? Steam, like over steam, is foam. <laughs> no, it's it's different. Like you're supposed to heat the milk to some temperature to like make it sweeter. It like almost cooks it and brings out the sugars. But if you go too much, it goes more bitter. The foam and the heated milk thing is different. That depends on like how much air you mix in with the steaming wand. Hmm. I guess. I mean, I know that those machines cost like 20, 10, 20,000 and up for, yeah. you know, like professional. And again, there are different ones where there are some that are expensive that are fully manual, that the barista controls, you know, exactly what happens. But the Starbucks ones, you just press a button and if it's calibrated and cleaned, it'll be the same. I'm guessing that which, not everyone calibrates awesome. and cleans it. <laughs> well, at least you can expect, even if you're in another country, you can expect the same drink that you're used to drinking. That's what I love about it. Right. And there is a comfort that you can get something familiar in a strange place. You can go to any Home Depot and, you know, yeah, you just find get that what same experience. That's right. Yeah. But there is something nice. Like we moved to this town and this town has a couple things about it that make it different than other towns. 
And I feel like we should embrace those things as sure. opposed to be like the transients. Like, cause we keep moving around and we never settle for like the same town. So it never seemed worth it to like invest in the community, but it would make things feel nicer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, um, every town has something something unique, and I think that you, if you're up for it, you don't have to force yourself. So if you don't like something, I don't think it's good to force yourself to just go to this town local coffee shop just because you know you're part of this community. But if you're up for it, yeah, absolutely. Like we have a couple of pizza places in town, and one of them supposedly is great, but then at the same time they're um, they don't make their own. Um, uh, tomato sauce. Um, and that makes a difference for us because my husband's allergic to, to a certain, to certain components. So, so we stopped going there, even though it's like in the right in the middle of the community. Um, we were now going to a different one, which is also part of the community. So, I mean, there are also all these different things. Like you have, if you have one coffee shop and a Starbucks, then it's one choice. And then if you have two coffee shops and a Starbucks, then it's something different. <laughs> Yeah. And maybe business aside, the other thing I've noticed, like, I like to walk. And in Manhattan, everyone walks everywhere totally fine. Here, I'm getting these strange looks. So <laughs> if a couple's walking, if I walk with my wife, it it's fine. If there's like someone with a dog, totally fine. But if I'm just walking on roads that don't have sidewalks, just around where I live, I get these strange looks because like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I went to, uh, I think it was a subway. It was like a sandwich place. And I walked there and it, it like didn't feel right. And I'm getting the sense that if you're not walking because you have to, because your wife made you, because your dog wants to go to the bathroom, <laughs> if you're just leisurely walking, you did something wrong. There's something wrong with you. And this community values like bicycles, motorcycles, mopeds, cars over just a dude walking. And that's an interesting feeling because, yeah, if I was living there forever and there's some new person just walking around my neighborhood, I'd be suspicious. But like, why? Interesting. So yeah, communities are... Are weird and that's why this time around we decided to get a car that i like because when we lived in the suburbs before i just got a cheap car i didn't like it but the car is a very important part of like living not in the city and if you hate driving your car all the time it'll, it'll make you look weird in the community <laughs> interesting hmm. i don't know how i switched from serial entrepreneurship to to cars and coffee, but um, it mean, is interesting. I'm yeah, it's just a community thing that I'm thinking about, which again, could just be me moving to a new place and not being able to be the like the normal community interactions that I'm used to because everything's different now. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so kind of breaking it back to, to the topic that you suggested in the beginning <laughs> so serial entrepreneurs I don't think you've kind of unpacked what you meant 
there um is it something that when when you know when a person starts new businesses every now and then is it something to be admired or is it something to be judged or like what's your take on that i think it goes we might have touched on this earlier where some people they're super passionate about this thing and they do everything they can to make it work and that sounds like the the dedicated hardware store owner that you know does anything to keep a store going where there's another group of people that it's basically their job and they need to make money and they don't have some sort of passion that they think that they can monetize so they they keep trying and they do a bunch of stuff and hope to succeed and i don't think there's anything wrong with either and I guess the corollary would be the office person that joins a company and, like me, moves around a bunch to different companies. Or the person that joins a large company in the hopes of being promoted to, I don't know, senior vice president, president, whatever. And I never had those aspirations. I never thought about joining my company and, you know, being the company's youngest VP or any of anything like that. I never, I still don't, like, care about being promoted. But that's maybe, like, the the similarity. I guess. I mean... I don't think any of these are wrong. Just different? Yeah, different is good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being different. Um... I'm just curious, just because you mentioned something when we talked right before we started recording, you mentioned something about is a serial entrepreneur, does that mean that the person keeps failing at businesses and and starts new ones? Or does it mean that they are succeeding? So I actually found that interesting. Yeah, and I don't know. I If you see that the business plateaued or is failing you should like know when to quit and there's nothing wrong with quitting and trying a different thing as opposed to, you know, fighting and hoping that this thing just magically turns around. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, um, serial entrepreneurs start new businesses because their prior ones failed? No, I think they just, need money and they need the like whatever they're craving some people like the attention some people like to manage people it like they have different motivations but i don't want to say it's like a type because like i could see myself having a different career if the early part of my career was different so Hmm. like i got into tech and that was basically an accident and it was another accident that the tech industry started booming and this big data thing happened and there's a lot of value in like selling and aggregating the big data, but that allowed engineers that are familiar with the technology to to make enough money and not push them into management. You can just you can just stay, you can work on your skills as an engineer without 
without needing to be the company's youngest VP? Well, I think what you're talking about is something different, meaning what you're talking about is companies don't push necessarily people to management. It's people themselves are more eager for promotion. And and it happens quite often that they are not, they're great at the actual job, but they're not at managing other people or managing projects or stress or whatever. And they feel pretty comfortable staying where they are, but it's much harder to say no to the promotion and the money, even though in your heart of hearts, you probably won't be great at that. So it's not necessarily companies pushing them. It's often people staying at a company for a couple of years and seeing, oh, okay, I can be that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get promoted and you find yourself hating to manage other people and so on. Right. And the money incentive is very real. A couple of my coworkers, they're just, you know, regular engineers, but they were given opportunities at previous companies to be team leads, to be managers, to be directors. And they chose to move away from that because they didn't like those parts of the job. And sure, the money's better or the like the interaction of having someone report to you is interesting for some people. But for the engineers that I know, they they didn't like it. They saw it as as not their job. And they didn't they didn't want to spend the time thinking about how do you talk to someone when, you know, someone's family member passed away, but you have a deadline due. What do you do in that interaction? And some people are more people oriented and they want to really manage the project, manage the people, make everyone feel good and, you know, get the outcome. But a lot of times that's just not an interesting thing. And people are more interested in how to quickly sort a list. And that's what they're good at. And that what that's what their interest is. And when they're tasked with, hey, manage these 20 people, they'll just compensate by working more and maybe they'll delegate less because they don't want to deal with the people interactions. And that's what makes someone a bad boss when they yep. when they don't know that their title change means that their behavior and daily work also needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not communicated very often. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's this way in accounting many accounting firms that I've known about and worked in for sure. Um, especially due to our personalities, because most of us are, well, I don't want to say most, many of us are introverts and, um, we're good at what we do, which is why we became accountants, but then managing other people, it's just, and, and it's very hard to say no to the money and to the promotion and to the status and whatever. And I think a lot of times you get promoted to manager and say you even do some management training or like interview training or whatever. But then the culture in your team sort of makes it less important. So sure, you can go to management training and learn the new words, but we still expect you to be coding every single day. Sure, you're going to manage these 20 people, but we expect you to be a working manager and you should spend 80% of your time still developing features. Also, you have to do the job of a manager and I think that's like a different issue where 
leadership and management kind of come together, but they don't, they don't work. And, and that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting topic. I think it's a whole new topic. Um, but I agree with, with, with you and I agree with what, with, with what you're saying. Um, th- on the other side of the spectrum is you can't be, well, maybe you can, but I think that you can't be a successful manager if you've never actually worked doing something because when you work and do something, test or code or whatever it is, you know how it works from the inside. So when you're managing someone, you can actually understand what process they're going through. So I don't know if there is a better way to do this. You know, I thought about this and this reminds me of like every generation, how parents think that the kids are doing something wrong. You know, their music is bad or they're, you know, changing their hair color in a weird way or just parents are generally unhappy with the kids and the younger generation. And all the parents also grew up and also rebelled and also were the problem in the eyes of the older generation. (laughs) And how quickly they forget that, like, it's different being an adult than being a kid and I think management's similar where sure you can have a person being a machinist, you know, milling parts every day, and then they get promoted to a manager or a supervisor or whatever. And then in five years, they entirely forget what it's like being the worker. And there's this weird divide where they're seen as almost enemies where the manager has to like, squeeze every bit of productivity out of the workers. And sure, they might remember, they might reflect, but the management has different pressures, just like parents have different pressures. And yeah, they can freak out because someone changed their hair color. And maybe when they were kids, they wouldn't have done that. But the the environment changed, the motivations changed. And I think it's too easy to forget where you came from. Yeah, I agree. I mean, your kids are like, our kids are a little older and you already forget how hard it was when they were, you know, toddlers. So yeah, absolutely. It's easy to forget when it's, you know, 10 years has gone by and now you're a parent and all of a sudden you switch roles with, with sort of, you switch your role. I mean, you didn't switch roles with your parents, but now you're a parent and you have your own child and you like you care about them and you think about this stuff differently, I think. And yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fairly quickly that we forget that we were just there. And the same thing with you, when you get promoted, I agree with you. When you get promoted, you forget how hard it was to be in the front lines at the same time, when you are in the front lines, when you are a programmer or a coder or whatever it is that you do, it's, I think that it would be helpful if you could put yourself in the manager's shoes and understand what they have to go through. And that's the reason I think that um, some people actually refuse promotions because they see that it's a completely different job and they may not like it. Right. And the hierarchical classic structure of the military and, you know, 
companies. That's, I think, changing to where I've been on teams where, sure, we all have managers, but the managers aren't involved in the work and the responsibility is on the team and you can have more senior members of the team, but you're sort of ranked by how how well you do your job and not whose title is higher. And I kind of like that where there's yeah. less hierarchy. There's no, I'm going to send an email and CC 40 people because, you know, you have to include your boss, your boss's boss, and then everyone's boss on that email. And yeah, I don't know if like maybe manager should be its own thing. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Well, something to think about. Yeah. All right, Eugene. I think we kind of deviated a little, a little bit from the topic, but um, I think it was a pretty good conversation. Yeah, I thought this was good. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. See ya.